Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn how to consciously curate digital self-mastery. My first guest is Dr. Ravi Chandra, and this conversation was originally recorded in October of 2018. Dr. Ravi Chandra. He is a psychiatrist, writer, and a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. His book, Face Buddha, Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks, is his first nonfiction debut and the winner of the 2017 Nautilus Silver Book Award for Religion and Spirituality of Eastern Thought. He's a friend of the show, and I'm absolutely delighted to have you back, Ravi. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Lisa. I really appreciate your inviting me. Well, you and I hit it off the first time you came to the show, and we agreed it must have been uh, close to a year ago that you'd come back and we'd talk about social media and politics. <laughs> so, so here we well, are. I, <laughs> yes, with the flames rising around us. <laughs> yes, Rome is burning, or you know, we're sort of in the sad United States of America. Right. Well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously there are so many traumas that are surfacing right now. And uh, uh, and I think uh, our political situation is just uh, putting salt on the wound or fuel on the fire, etc. It, it, it's so toxic. Uh, and social media, of course, can become very toxic. And I anticipate it becoming more toxic as the year continues towards the election cycle. Talk a little bit about the toxicity of social media, because I think we we can all agree that the internet and sort of the digisphere can be used for the greater good, but most often it's not. Well, there's so many levels of that. First of all, you know, as we know, Twitter recently stopped doing political ads. Facebook has kind of uh, some uh, some hand waving reasons why they're continuing political ads, which have I've seen so many examples of outright lies and uh, just disparaging comments, etc., being targeted to uh, voters who might be susceptible to these kinds of messages. So I, I'm I'm certainly worried that. Uh, that the campaigns and perhaps third parties are going to stir the pot and turn us against each other. And the messages of unity and of clear reasoning will not get through. And then, of course, you know, in our own news feed, depending on our, uh, well, the algorithm basically favors the more, uh, in quote unquote, engaging uh, posts, which are often the most controversial, the negative, et cetera, because that's what gets the, the angry, uh, emojis and the comments, et cetera, going. And so I think that the medium itself on Facebook in particular tends to, uh, aggravate and, uh, just like Twitter become an auxiliary amygdala, just going straight to the primitive parts of our brain, uh, our survival, uh, brains uh, where we uh, go into fight, flight, and freeze, and so so all of these uh, these emotions get stirred up, uh, and we react, but yet we don't often enough engage our higher centers, which are about relationship, long term planning, kindness. Uh, and compassion. Um, and so that's the challenge, I think, for each of us as we engage on social media, but in our lives in general. I think it's easier in a real world relationship to have those kind of long term planning and compassion uh, neurons and that, that part of our frontal cortex engage. Um, but it's it's uh, it's a challenge online. I hear you. And I, I love what you just called uh, social media, the auxiliary amygdala. And it's kind of true, right? Like 
It can fire us up in a nanosecond where we lose all reason, accountability, judgment, morality. It's just gone. Poof. We see something that fires us up and we've lost it. Right. It's it's called uh, uh, cyber disinhibition, but I call it cyber dysregulation. You know, this this kind of just a, a total uh, change of our personalities, which can happen online. And um, I think, you know, I've certainly tried to, you know, to, to avoid that kind of political furor, but it happens. And then, you know, I'm, of course, I'm concerned for my friends who are in distress, but I, I always feel it's hard to, um, you know, as the Buddha said, better than a thousand hollow words is is one word that brings peace. And it's hard to do that online, to really be that voice of peace, etc. because uh, it's just, you know, just, just typing text and images onto a screen does not capture our humanity, it does not transmit our humanity. Um, so I would argue that it's stimulating. You know, the, the very act of the tapping and the clicking is stimulating to the brain, right? It's activating us. It is not soothing us. Sure, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, I think you know it's great if you can uh, uh, throw in a cat video or or uh, you <laughs> know kitty, humor. Kitty. Humor, I, yeah, humor. I think is great. That's one of my favorite parts of engaging on social media is just to uh, enjoy other people's humor and share share a joke myself. Um, but when it gets into distressing, disturbing issues, the issues of trauma, uh, it, it it we we tend to get into uh, the blame cycle, uh, blame, shame, scapegoating, etc., and away from related uh, understanding and relationship um, and interdependent identity. Well, when we talk about being traumatized by the political climate and by what's going on in the news and whatever is external, you know, whatever is out there that is happening that gives us a sense of feeling traumatized and overwhelmed and unable to really manage, you know, what we're seeing and feeling. How do you counsel people to find a way to deal with this? Because, I mean, I have clients that will say that, you know, there are times when they're so overwhelmed they can't function. Right. Well, certainly a media diet is important to to uh, to remember uh, what uh, brings you back to yourself. And on my website, facebuddha.co, there's a mindfulness based look at uh, your own social media use. And you can kind of see how uh, and kind of chart how social media is affecting you, what it's like when you take a break. And then you can make rational decisions about how you want to engage. Um, yeah. You mm-hmm. also have a uh, lecture series available. I want to just give a shout out to that because I, I love your work. And on your website, ravichandramd.com, um, within your portfolio, there is a viewable series where you talk about this and more. Yes, that's right. It was an eight-week lecture series that I did covering uh, compassion in difficult times, self-compassion, Asian-American psychology, uh, narcissism in the American psyche and relatedness in the American psyche, and technology and psychology. Mm. Let's talk a moment about the Declaration of Independence. Let's go way back to the founding fathers and invisible mothers because they were there and talk a little bit about our national identity and the intent of your belief and mine, I think, because we share similar views of the Declaration of Independence. Right. I think the Declaration of Independence is such an inspiring document, and, and I think it it was revolutionary then, and it's it's revolutionary now. You know, this idea that uh, the Creator, whatever you uh, imagine that to be, has uh, uh, given us equality and the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I think that 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 idea of equality, even though. At the time of the founding, that was limited to white, wealthy property owners, male property owners. So it was not, uh, it was not true then. Um, but we've done, I think, you know, the, over the course of history, Americans have tried to make this more and more true. Um, and I, I think that's such a powerful concept that no matter what, uh, what station we have in life, whatever, uh, you know, whatever we're doing, et cetera. There's a underlying common humanity 
and equality that I think it's so important to connect to as human beings and not uh, because, you know, I think other in the last 50 years, America has become particularly individualistic and narcissistic and therefore competitive and antagonistic. And I think all of these uh, emotions of social comparison, jealousy, antagonism, envy and so forth are, are so much part of our uh, psychic makeup, uh, and especially with social media. And I think we just have to f- kind of undo that and really connect to our common humanity and equality to really find that happiness. And maybe even, you know, to really have a, a deep national discussion about what happiness is uh, and how we can achieve it. I think, again, in the last 50 years or so, uh, or certainly since post-war prosperity, uh, happiness has been equated with getting what you want yeah. uh, materially. And I think that's a totally wrong and that's totally unsupported by research as well. Oh, well, we can go on and on and on about that. And um, I think most importantly is the recognition that when we get what we want or what we think we want, right, it's only um, a letdown, right? Because then we're, we're, yeah. we're seeking that next thing, that next adrenaline rush in pursuit of what it is that we think we want or need. And it's externally referenced. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I I talk about uh, happiness a lot with my patients. And, you know, there's so many definitions. I think certainly meeting goals is is important, having a sense of meaning or purpose in life, Um, having a certain basic financial security. uh, Yes, that's important. But beyond that, it doesn't add to happiness. Um, But I think, you know, for me and and for my patients who are going through distress, uh, I think I define happiness as an increasing capacity to deal with distress and difficult emotions. Um, so having that recognition that one can uh, get through the difficult times, I think that's another definition of happiness that we have to kind of feed into our system. I agree with you. I also think that happiness in my own experience and in working with clients is also the absence of suffering. That when we can get ourselves regulated to a place where we recognize, yes, suffering is part of the human condition and it mm-hmm. will not impede my happiness. I just choose not to perceive the suffering as anything more than it is. Right. And maybe even, you know, in the ideal circumstance to treat it, our difficulties as a kind of treasure that we can use to to really build ourselves and uh, grow with the experience. So that that idea of uh, post-traumatic growth, I think, is important. Um, but suffering, suffering has been a great teacher for me. And I mean, we're going through a lot of trauma and suffering right now nationally. Um, but uh, in, in some way, I think uh, it can uh, kind of, uh, take us back to what's really important. And certainly it's what's done that for me. I've started teaching compassion and self-compassion courses and kind of doubling down on what I think is important and missing from the national conversation, which is about relationship and our connection with others and, and our interdependence. Uh, and, and I think this is founded on compassion. So, so in that sense, the suffering of, of the uh, national times has really brought out I think what's important for me. I agree. Let's go take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Ravi Chandra to learn more about Ravi and his beautiful work. Please visit RaviChandraMD.com on Twitter at going to peace. And it's the number two on Facebook. We are going to check out Ravi Chandra, psychiatrist and writer and on Instagram It's Ravi Chandra, MD. Here comes that pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We're back continuing the conversation with Dr. Ravi Chandra. We're talking about consciously curated digital self-mastery. This conversation was originally recorded in October of 2018. Let's get back to it. Ravi, we have so much to cover and there's so little time, but you've given us some some tools and some insight into our human brains and, and how we are stimulated by social media and our devices. 
And you talk a little bit about um, the Declaration of Independence and going back to the foundation of America and some of those qualities of a kinder, more just and moral time. Let's talk a little bit about the pursuit of happiness. And you gave us some some good basis for human happiness that comes from having meaning in our lives. And you talk a little bit about the necessity of living in a state of united interdependence. That's right. I mean, I think, you know, we all come into the world with a common humanity as human beings. And then from that, there's some kind of, you know, we develop relationships and often some kind of disconnection or wound or trauma, you know, could be based on our identities, could be based on uh, things that happen to us, et cetera. So, so there's that uh, trauma or wound that we have of disconnection. And from that, I think there's a kind of a parallel process that develops. On the one side, um, there's the kind of cycle of trauma, which is uh, about uh, really trying to, I think, you know, in, in its, to be most generous, to try and create control and safety for the traumatized individual. So it could be about avoiding uh, trauma, uh, the traumatic triggers uh, could be about blame and shame and scapegoating, pushing away those things that we find uh, dangerous. Um, and uh, and that's uh, that's really um, that really keeps going on and on. And, and it could lead to anxiety, depression, just a complete uh, involution. Um, but a lot of toxicity can happen out of that. And then parallel processing with that, there's the development of relationship and a cultivation of connection and compassion for self and other. And I think both of, both of those things are going on in most wounded or traumatized people. And I think, you know, diffusing the trauma cycle, uh, which, you know, trying to win antagonistically in some way in, in you know, in, in the extreme forms, um, splitting the world into good and bad. I mean, that has to, I think, be diffused and uh, to get to a really a felt experience of common humanity and interdependent identity. So um, so I think, you know, I think uh, just noticing the trauma cycles as they come up and uh, working with them with mindfulness, compassion and relationship in order to get to that more peaceful state um, where you're aware of what traumatizes, but you're not overwhelmed by it. Let's talk a little bit about connecting with the other. Because we are in such a polarized state that we often think, well, if this person is not like me, if their, if their thought process and their values seemingly are not like mine, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be near them. They're bad. They're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the ways to better manage when we have those feelings is to go the opposite way, to lean in and get curious and ask questions and discover that we are not different from the other. Absolutely. Curiosity and understanding are so important. Uh, um, you know, I understand why, you know, people get, you know, either hostile or angry when, uh, when, when ideas or people they don't, uh, they don't, relate to, uh, uh, or, or people who have traumatized them, uh, show up. Um, that's understandable because again, we're trying to create control and safety. Um, but, you know, I think where does our, our real sense of safety comes from? I think it is that sense of connection. So you're right. Exactly. Uh, opening to those moments with curiosity. Oh, and, and trying to encourage empathy in others as well. Uh, it is so important. It's funny. I, I got a call last week to do a radio tour for a network whose name shall remain nameless for the sake of this discussion, but their views in general are very dissimilar to mine. Um, and I thought, you know, what an opportunity to go and talk about human happiness and well-being in a time of turmoil and ask questions to see where I'm more alike that other person than unlike them. And it was a very satisfying experience because I was skeptical in doing it and I was glad that I did it. Yeah, that's so great. Uh, what was your experience like, you know, being there with people who were different or, or had different ideas? Well, I, one of the um, hosts was really a Bible thumper. 
So that mm-hmm. was a bit different than my worldview. And he kept wanting me to talk about going to God as the only pathway to happiness. And I wasn't willing to go there. I was willing to say the research says that people who have a spiritual practice, whether it is religion or knitting, tend to experience greater joy in their life because they're mm-hmm. connected to something greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he, he wasn't happy with yeah. me because he wanted oh. he wanted God to be part of the conversation. And I just kept citing the research. That's really hard. I mean, I have a hard time talking to people who are very certain in their beliefs. Um, and uh, it doesn't leave a lot of room for uh, for communication. And so yes. I'm, I so appreciate your your willingness to do that. Um, uh, that's that's another thing I think we got to figure out is how to uh, get out of our own hard-headed certainties and and encourage other people to be more fluid and related it's it's kind of that uh, a way for them i think to have control and power in a situation um and it can feel very strong but it's so unrelated and it makes everyone else feel uh disconnected i think so uh so i think you know we've got to all work on not you know, being so hard-headed, I think, and being open and, like you said before, uh, being curious uh, and try to understand and have empathy for people who uh, have different uh, uh, identities or, or different uh, ideas. Well, I think when we start to see that that person whose views are so much different than our own, when we start to see them as as a human being that wants safety, security, prosperity, good health, good family, good connection. Those are all of the things that each of us want that is available to us from our, from our own effort and not some political um, doctrine. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, but I also think that uh, the thing that we've obviously got to, we're, we're at peak narcissism right now um, and, and peak self-centeredness. I mean, this is according to research and just what's happening in our polarized political environment. And I think all the religions really are about overcoming self-centeredness. At, at the core of every religion, there's that uh, quality. Uh, and uh, so I think we we do have to, you know, realize certainty, while it does provide this this false sense of, of safety, is also very self-centered. And, you know, I think, you know, the, we, you know, that's another thing we've got to kind of transcend uh, uh, to to be able to be uh, to hold our opinions with less attachment, I think, uh, is so important for uh, for for being non self-centered. Yeah, less less attachment to outcome and desire and more of the neutral observer or the witness, right? And then be able to harness our reactivity to these things as they happen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, um, but it's so great that you had these conversations. Um, I wish I could have, my lecture series was one way to kind of have a conversation in some sense with, uh, with people who maybe I'm not meeting in person, but, uh, but I can give, give some information to and, uh, uh hopefully start some dialogue uh, o- along the way. These are important conversations and they're, and they're great connectors. They're great conversation starters, you know, to see ourselves in the other. And perhaps that mollifies some of this aggression that, that a lot of us are harboring. Right. I mean, I'm so fortunate you're, you're running this great radio show and I'm fortunate to be a therapist. So I'm, you know, I'm having deep conversations with, uh, uh, dozens of people a week, you know, so it's, uh, it's just so transformative and it brings you down to that, that sense of, you know, deepens that sense of caring about another person, uh, being open to them. And, you know, I'm so grateful for my profession, uh, that, that I'm allow I'm able to do that. Um, and I think we, we all, you know, uh, do better, uh, in conversation, uh, and we need to, we need to have more of those. We do. We need to keep talking and use good reason, get out of the blame game. I mean, I'm, I'm reiterating some of your own beautiful talking points that, you know, learn to identify you right with our own, own work and work with those difficult emotions with mindfulness, compassion and relationship. This is what you want to teach us. 
Yeah, and yeah, going back to that uh, that founding document, uh, the Declaration of Independence and the Pursuit of Happiness, I think what's happened with individualism in the last 50 years is that we think – if we're not happy, then something must be wrong, you know, <laughs> yes. and particularly that someone's to blame. You know, I'm not happy, so it must be someone's fault. I think that's so common, um, especially when we're stressed. That can happen to any of us, but it's something to overcome. It's like, you know, how can we take responsibility for our own happiness and also be a source of happiness for others um, and, and get out of the blame game? Exactly. I, yeah. I think it's you know, such an antagonistic way to live one's life. Be a joy generator, you know, get out there and be, like you say, be the source of happiness for yourself, for others. And, you know, this is what we, you know, we always talk about it being an inside job and that might sound very trite, that being happiness, but really we, it, it, we should be the ones that know ourselves the most and therefore know how to make ourselves joyful. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> Right, right. And, and, you know, we, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? And, and that's, that's in all religions as well. And if we're a source of happiness for others, if we're giving, if we're generous, uh, you get that back. Yeah. Um, and it feels good to, to be generous in spirit and materially, et cetera. Um, so I, I think these are all, you know, important, uh, religious principles that I, I think no religion would disagree with. Um, uh, but we just got to, I think, act out. I mean, it's also research based as well. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of evidence for, uh, what Dr. Keltner uh, says that we're born to be good. Uh, that's his book of the same name. So, so you know, we, we can bring out these qualities. Ravi, thanks for your generosity in giving your time and hanging out with me today. To learn more about the work of Dr. Ravi Chandra, please visit ravichandramd.com on Twitter at Going to Peace. And again, the two in Going to Peace is the number. On Facebook, that page is Ravi Chandra, psychiatrist and writer. And on Instagram, Ravi Chandra MD. You can also check out his lecture series that is available on his website, which I mentioned. I'll say it again, ravichandramd.com. And the book is Face Buddha Transcendence in the Age of Social Networks. Ravi, always a delight. We're going to have to come back and hang out again and talk about the political climate in a few months. Sounds good. Here comes that brief pause. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We're back continuing the conversation about consciously curated digital self-mastery. My next guest is Jordan Reed, and this conversation was originally recorded in September of 2020. Let's welcome back Jordan Reed. She's the founding editor of the lifestyle blog, Ram Shackle Glam, and the author of two parenting and style memoirs. Her hobbies include creating unnecessary complications insomnia, and maintaining an impressive collection of fake plants. She lives in California with her two children, twin orange cats, and a Roomba named Thanos. She's the author of The Big Activity Book for Digital Detox, and that is actually what we are talking about. So in the meanwhile, put away your device, except if you're listening to us on your device, and tune in because we're going to have some fun. Jordan, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you so much for having me again. I love this. Uh oh, I, I do too. I do too. You and I have had some good laughs together and they, they continue. <laughs> they, they most definitely continue because we're in the midst of COVID mania. I had heard of that. Yes. 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 In case, in case any of you out there have not heard of it and we are not exploring mask fashion today, we are exploring how to get your kids and yourself off those dang devices. Well, th you know, it's an interesting thing promoting a book right now about uh, digital detox at the exact point in time when we've all realized that the only way we can connect with each other is through our devices. And, I, you know, I'm so obviously grateful to have FaceTime, but also just because we, you know, can appreciate technology does not mean we need to super glue our iPhones to our 
eyeballs and call it a day. <laughs> you know, we still have to remember to find balance. I do know. In fact, that is a challenge for a lot of us right now because the, the cellular device or the mobile devices are a lifeline to the outside world, to humanity. They also suck us in. You know, there's like a big suction oh, yeah. cup. Like, <laughs> you know, right. And we were trying to, I mean, I felt like there was a lot of guilt surrounding technological device use, you know, in the past months. And now we all sort of like gave up. We collectively were like, forget it. I give up. I give up. Just yep. give me my phone. Give me all the time. Give me all day. Get and it. I think that, the, you know, first of all, let's forget the guilt. That That is the number one thing for me. Like, yeah, yeah. My kids are in screens most of the day, whether it's a computer doing schoolwork or TV because mom needs to work too. And I have got to not feel guilty about that. Speaking of the little darlings, I hear them in the background, the little yes, chirping yes. birds. And this is, you know, <laughs> yes. this is real life right now. Um, the super moms out there and super dads out there who are multitasking out of your executive boardrooms in your houses mm-hmm. are dealing with this. This is, this is the new normal, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm doing an interview right now with you and simultaneously making brownies with my daughter and holding up a finger at my son saying, shh, shh, right. shh, off to the side. And I'm, I'm making gestures at him saying, go watch TV. Like, please go watch TV. Just Hand him his device. Here, go. Yeah. <laughs> go, go play. Go. <laughs> I, I mean, I literally don't, it cannot be overstated how challenging this is. And I, and I am, I am, you know, it is not beyond me that I'm very fortunate to have a job where I can work from home, but I just got my kids' school schedules on Monday and I, I burst into tears because they were both wildly specific, completely different, and required enormous involvement on my part. And, you know, they, I can, they, there's two computers in the house. So one for my daughter, one for my son. And then when do I write a book? I have a book due in three weeks. It's just, yeah. it's, and, you know, and again, I, and I am lucky. So I don't know, I, how, I don't know how everyone else is doing it. And you know the the book that we are talking about is the big activity book for digital detox. So the the, yeah. the 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 paradox of where we find ourselves in the moment and the discussion that we're having is quite amusing to me. And and I also think that there's a constructive way for us to do this where we eliminate like digital shaming, right? Yes, that is number one. And a big part of the book actually is about like how the internet is kind of great. You know, Beyonce GIFs exist. That's wonderful. Uh, there are Reddit rooms where you get to just look at things that make you say, oh, that's nice. So it's not like an internet shaming, an internet hating book. It's just saying, you know, enjoy the digital arena for what it is. And then also remember to, to look up once in a while because you might see something really beautiful. Like those darling children with whom you're baking? Like uh, they, they like baking right now, <laughs> right? They love, they love the attention. Like they are th- like, I have to say that everybody I know that has young kids at home as, as hard as it is on the parents, they all tell me their kids are thriving. Surprise. They are. They are. I, I said, you know, are you guys okay? They were like, yeah, <laughs> we get to watch a lot more TV right now. And we get to be, and really at this end, when they're little, they just want to be with their parents. That's it. So You're- yeah. So you're, it's actually kind of lovely. You're the it. Yes, it's not ready right now. Can, <laughs> you're mixing really well. Thank you, sweetie. <laughs> oh, tell her she's a rock star mixer. The the lady who's injuring me wants you to know that you're a rock star mixer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so what do we do, Jordan, when we can't get our kids or ourselves off a device? Like, what are some strategies where we can put a little balance into the equation? Because I think that's what a lot of us really need. It's not about like putting the thing away for good. It's really about how do we parse out or give ourselves a respectable diet with digital material? Yeah, I. Th- you know what I think? It's about finding those little like snippets in your day where you're able to disconnect. Like I have a policy, we go on a walk every day for just, you know, 20 minutes and I don't bring my phone. And that is hard. That is a challenge oh. to not bring it with me because I'm like, what if something happens? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and But I don't. And what if I want to take a picture of them being cute? And then I realize I don't have to do that. I can take 20 minutes and I cannot take a picture of anything. And it's really lovely. And we have in here um, a couple of the activities that I really enjoy. We have scavenger hunts for in the house and for around, you know, a scavenger hunt, walk around the block. Nice. Yeah, I think those are really fun. And we've been actually doing a lot of 
analog things like, um, you know, I'll say like, go find me something that starts with an A, something that starts with a B, something that starts with every letter of the alphabet. And that takes up an hour. That's a solid hour right there. Yeah, there are things that we can do that actually require some brain power that get us talking to those people who are sitting next to us in the house. And maybe that's what this whole thing is about. And but the, but you do give us great activities like some activities include crafting with your obsolete phone cords or maybe old chargers, right? Uh, yeah. What can, you make with those things? what can you make with I mean, those things? You can you can make a dog leash for an emergency. You can make, uh, you know, all you have to do is put some is a washi tape and you just throw that on Pinterest and that you call that art. Oh, oh, the, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. The pr- oh, that yeah. pretty tape, the pretty, pretty. <laughs> oh, yes, 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 yes. You can make art. You can make a, a plant holder, right? A plant hanger. You, you can make infinite things with your abandoned iPhone cords, really. I mean, I think the opportunities are just endless. And, and, and name a couple others. Like I know there's digital detox bingo. How does one play that? Well, I, so that's just really about finding all the things that you have achieved in your life lately. Like, did you do a thing and not post about it? That's a square. Did you make a decision without group texting? There you go. Did you delete an app? An app? App deletion is huge. I think it's all about curating your feeds right now. Like, for example, I think Chrissy <laughs> Teigen, I am all about her. I want her in my life. I do not want anyone who owns a pool in my life right now. I don't need to see it. I don't need to see you sitting by your pool because you know what that's called? That's called being on vacation. Oh, right. <laughs> so it's, it's not quarantine. And did you see David? <laughs> no. And did you see David Geffen post his yacht? Did you see that? I didn't, but I did it's receive hilarious. that. I got the memo. I did get the memo about that from my 95-year-old yeah, aunt. She said, do you know that David Geffen is on his ginormous yacht in the middle of the ocean riding this out? <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's like, stay safe, everyone. Stay <laughs> home, stay safe. <laughs> oh, my! Fa- I mean, the the memes. I have to say, the content creation going on right now is uh, just just leveled up. Like there was this meme, and it was like, you know, who's really suffering right now? Guys on dating apps. Remember talking to a woman for weeks before you met her? Remember courtship? <laughs> Write me a poem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now it'll be years before we can have contact. I mean, I'm being uh, facetious, but there is some some kernel of truth in that. I know. I, I mean, and, and it's like all the all the people who you know ghosted women in the weeks leading up to this that they're regretting that now. <laughs> I saw a very funny um, little video. It was a TikTok video, which you know I'm an older person. I'm not old, but you know I'm an older person. TikTok is not my generation, but I do know about it now. And there was the most hysterical video on there of a woman who got dressed up as if she was going out to the nightclub to take her trash out. I love it. She desperately it. needed it. Like she desperately needed to put on the heels, the dress, the, and the makeup. And I totally get that. Yes. I put on eyeliner the other day. I don't know why, but I had to. I had to because I'm tired of looking in the mirror and seeing this shell of a human that I have become. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, there is, there is the haggard element, you know, like we're all just a little shop worn, but let's go back to what it means to really take some time off from these devices. And maybe there's a redirection, something that we can think about when we're tempted to reach for the phone and we want to be good boys and girls and not do it. What do we do? You know, I, I, like I said, I think it's all about thoughtful consumption. And I think it's important to remember why you're doing this. Like, why am I posting this? What is, what is the point? I mean, I think there's a lot of credibility. People are talking about limiting their news consumption to, you know, pick a real source of excellent, you know, an excellent source, like, you know, NPR or the Times. get your news from that. And then that's it. You don't need the endless feedback loop of the news cycle going through your head all day and going through your feed. You know, taking a photograph documenting quarantine life is really interesting. We're going to definitely look back on these times as this is a this is a big moment in history. This is a generation changer. And it is important to document it. I really believe that. But it's not important to document everything. I, you know, it's not the, the constant posting. It's you have to think, why? Who am I trying to reach? And why, you know, and that's been a really interesting challenge for me as, you know, a content, I've been a content creator for the past 10 years and posting all day, you know, literally all day, every day about my life and something about this moment has made me pull back on that in a really big way, which I, I have found personally interesting. 
as the world has quieted, it's like I've wanted to be quiet too. And it's felt very healthy. I want to ask you about that. But first, we're going to take a pause and then we'll come back and we'll continue the conversation with Jordan Reed. We're talking about her book, The Big Activity Book for Digital Detox, to learn more about Jordan and her fabulously fun and insightful work please visit ramshackleglam.com on Twitter at ramshackleglam on Facebook ramshackleglam and Instagram the same ramshackleglam. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, IndieBound and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Let's get back to the conversation with Jordan Reed, originally recorded in September of 2020. We're talking about consciously curated digital self-mastery. Let's get back to it. And Jordan, prior to the pause, you talked about the pause that COVID-19 has made in your life. Yeah. So I have been a very public person. I've made a, a business, really, out of being a public person since I was, you know, 28 uh, years old. A baby. <laughs> I was a little tiny blogger baby, just running around the city looking for a free lip gloss. And, you know, I've written books about my life, my first two books, which nobody read, so... <laughs> That's okay. You don't. You haven't heard. No, but let's give but my a first plug. two books were about my life. Oh, well, it's Ramshackle Glam, the new mom's haphazard guide to almost having it all and carrying on. And they were both parenting memoirs, and I was I was quite proud of them. But so I, I shared about my life in those, and then you know daily on my website, and that was how I I made a living. Really, I worked with brands, and I would write about you know how I used you know how I use Clorox or how you know I would paint my room with you know Valspar and. And now something in this moment, it's like I see people really leaning into extraordinary content creation, like the people on TikTok. Um, they're really doing amazing things right now. And they're doing really interesting things. And a friend of mine said, oh, my gosh, your business is going to explode right now. You're, you just, just start creating so much content because people are, are craving it. And I said, no. I am not going to be that person. I am not going to learn how to use <laughs> a new technology right now. I am not going to, you know, write the essays of my life. I am, I am, I want to be quieter. I want to yeah. spend time with my children who are literally at this moment delivering me pieces of paper with notes on them because <laughs> they, they, they need to tell me things. Oh, that's so cute. Can you read the notes? <laughs> I do. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> One note says, is it ready to lick the bowl and spoon? And the other note says, please. Yes, you may lick the bowl and spoon. Go for yeah. it. Just oh, yeah. That'll, all the that, that'll, that'll probably occupy him for about three whole minutes. Eat, no. eat all of it. Go no, no. What? No. Don't eat all of it. Eat a little bit of it, and then we'll make the brownies. Okay. Um, yeah, so, and, and, and it's been, it's like, and that's a scary thing to realize because that's been a significant percentage of my income. And all of a sudden, I, I kind of don't want to do it. I just want to write. I want to write differently. I want to write. I don't want to write about myself. And, and so, you know, there's nothing like a pandemic to really throw things into perspective for you. Yeah. And it's hard to parse out like what, what, you know, how much of what, and we're all feeling crazy things. We're, we're realizing who we want to be with and who we, who, you know, doesn't make us feel good to be around. And it's hard to parse out how much of this realization is sort of fight or flight reaction to the, the crisis and how much of it is, is genuine. And I think that's the challenge for all of us is, is figuring out what this has taught us and how much is, is panic and how much is real. Yeah. I was getting some meat today where, where I am riding this crisis out 
in a hamlet in the middle of New York state, we have a 24 hour automat for beef and chicken and pork. And I was in, I, I could just give it a plug, Applestone, the butcher. And there was a woman who was having a meltdown at the automat because she couldn't get her credit card to work. And so I offered to help her at that safe six foot distance. I mean, it was really kind of comical. And she said, thank you for helping me. She says, this whole food thing is really getting to me. And and I looked at her, we made mm-hmm. eye contact behind the masks, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it really hits like the serious primal button. Yep. It really does. It's fascinating. I mean, I, the last time I can remember having this like weird primal right after my daughter was born, my mother was visiting, she was staying with me. And she had a cough. She wasn't sick. She just had a chronic cough for a while. And I knew that she wasn't sick. I knew that she just, it was like an irritation in her throat, but it was this really heavy cough. And I was, I would like lose it whenever she came near my, my daughter. And I like, I couldn't, (laughs) I I was like, mom, don't cough on the baby. But it was crazy because she wasn't, yes, honey, on you. Uh, It's because she wasn't sick. I knew that. I knew it. And something like, it, it was like this primal, yeah, this, this very primal reflex. And, and, you know, people who have had children know that like, there's that, I think that's pretty common to have that like crazy hormonal, like you're just so hooked into your emotions after you have a baby and they're crazy emotions. And I, and I feel like people are getting that right now. Like if you, if you have anxiety, it is amped up. If oh, you yeah. have you know any sort of issues are really like dialed, dialed up right now. They are definitely amplified. And then at one point, when we look to the phones to find comfort, you know, the digital devices and that whole social media thing, some of us are becoming more agitated and and choosing to dial back because it's not helping matters, you know? No, I mean, I mean, personally, there is a lot of content out there that it's not good for me to see it. You know, I see I was looking at (laughs) I went on Instagram this morning. And there was this picture of uh, a, this beautiful woman and her hair is done and she's dressed in clothing and she was standing no. in this beautiful, <laughs> yes, and she was standing in this beautiful all white house with this Cyrus mirror and the plants and the throw pillows just so. And I had this really um, bitchy reflex where I just went, she definitely doesn't have kids. And I was like, ew, who am I? Why am I being judgy and mean just because this woman is, you know, has a nice picture up and I went on her feet and she does have kids. So I don't, I don't even understand. But what I realized was the <laughs> reaction so that it, <laughs> none of this made sense to me, but the reaction that I had was of course about me. It's not about her. Maybe she's just, who knows? Maybe there's a mess outside the frame of that photo, probably. And I have certainly done that myself over the years. I published, you know, lovely photo and just piles of trash just out where you can't see them. But the fact that it had this like weird negative reaction from me, I didn't like what it brought out in myself. So you know what? I'm going to unfollow her. Not because she did anything wrong, not because she doesn't have a lovely feed, because I need to take away those the things that bring out that sort of ugly side of myself. I don't need that right now. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And when we talk about positive psychology and the science of happiness, and now we'll get a little clinical here, that, that the, um, the social comparison, this need to keep up with the Joneses or yeah. to, to believe everything that we see out there in the media is true, which we know it's not. There's a lot of movie making going on on multiple levels. That's right. And like I said, there's going to be incredible content creation happening right now. And we have to remember, it is not a keeping up with the Joneses situation. And you know, and as a content creator, that is a really challenging thing to sort of wrap my mind around. But I'm also realizing that that's not what's important to me. It's not. It's not the ability to, to sit down and read a book on my front porch with my son, and not take a photograph of it. That's important to me. Well, there's the next book, the big activity book for real life. Mm-hmm. Actually, the next book, um, I'm about to finish it. It's due, in, it's due in three weeks. I'm really, yeah, I think I can do that, right? Oh, yeah, uh, no problem. A big activity book for divorced people is the next one. Oh, yeah, because uh, that, that's a fairly new thing. I mean, when we first uh, started speaking and you came on the show prior, your, your move across the country was fresh. And so was the beginning mm-hmm. of a new life. And yep. yeah, there's a lot to rebound from and recalibrate when one door closes and another opens. That's for sure. 
Oh yeah. And I'll, and you know, this, this is actually throwing all that stuff into high relief. Also just, you know, shared custody in the time of coronavirus is a really fascinating topic. Somebody else was talking about that the other day, because like, you don't really know how he or she, you know, what their level of safety is, you know, like, and you have no control over it. Right. And, you know, maybe you have one parent who's not working or both parents not working or, you know, and the kids have no school and all of a sudden all the schedules are it's, it's really interesting. And I, I, I did interview uh, lawyers and psychologists right after this happened for an article. And uh, the answer is it's unprecedented. There is no legal basis for this. And good luck. <laughs> yeah. You got everybody. Really? Everybody is winging it. But, I, you know, I think that there's some peace in that. Like, if you know that everybody is, like, learning to fly the plane, <laughs> you know, as they're building it, like, yes. there's some comfort yes. in that. Like, I'm not alone. You're not alone. We're all everybody in the world is going through this same thing about recalibrating and shifting priorities, logistics. You know, some people's lives have have changed so dramatically on so many yeah. levels. Yeah, I mean, and whatever plans you had for the future, well, they're gone. And and there is, there is something, obviously, there's something distressing in that. But there's also something very exciting, and very freeing, just this sense of, I, like, I don't know where I'm going, but neither does anybody else. And really, that was true all along. Yes, it was true all along. But we didn't all know it. <laughs> we didn't know it. We didn't know it. I want to just read a you little. You want to make, what is it? You want to make God laugh, make a plan? Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> laughing now. Laughing now. <laughs> we are nearly out of time. And I, and I want to just say, if you're yearning for freedom from your devices, find a pen and turn to the pages of this timely and hilarious book. You don't even need to tweet about how retro you are or geotag the coffee shop where you read it. In fact, you might not even be able to get to that coffee shop that you usually go to. Soon enough, Jordan Reed and her co-author or illustrator, Aaron, will be by your side. You'll find that life without filters looks good on you. And I think that that is the point, Jordan. Life without filters. Yeah. Life without filters. Life without filters. Jordan, come back and let's talk about the next book. But the one we're talking about today is the big activity book for Digital Detox, written by my guest, Jordan Reed. And the illustrations were done by Erin Williams. We want to give her a plug. To learn more about Jordan and her work, please visit RamshackleGlam.com. On Twitter at RamshackleGlam, Facebook and Instagram are the same, RamshackleGlam. Jordan, always a pleasure, really. Such a pleasure. Yes, good fun, good fun. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guests, Dr. Ravi Chandra and Jordan Reed, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU net and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.